Well, good morning, guys. Great to see you today. Um, oh, I see Aston Caroline. I haven't seen you arrived. Hello. Um, used to be part of our church family a while ago. Now I've been Nottingham. It's lovely getting a bird's eye view up here to see who's here. So great to have you with us this morning. And how lovely to share in Hetty's education. You know, isn't it just wonderful and poignant to be around at the, the very start of a new life and, you know, thinking about Johnny's and Beth's kind of hopes and dreams for Hetty and all that they, they hope might, they might see come to pass in her life. And I was um, on the internet this week and Googling things and I found these really cute pictures I thought I'd just share with you. Somebody decided they wanted to try and um, help some kids' dreams come true. And so they asked what their dreams were and one little boy said he had a dream to leap tall buildings. And so they tried to make it happen. <laughs> another, another little boy, another two little boys, said they wanted to go into space. So they've kind of mocked up a, a photo of them going into space. You know, we have many hopes and dreams as we start our lives. And certainly those of us who are parents have those for our kids. But I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking how poignant it was this week with what we know of Jo Cox, the tragic end to her life. And I just thought, gosh, the beginning of a life and the end of a life kind of remembered in the same week. And I'm sure you all have heard many tributes coming into her as I have. You know, people said she was a deeply good person who devoted her life to others. She spoke up for those who needed a voice. She grabbed life and made the most of every day. And I don't know about you, but events like we've heard in our news certainly make me stop and think. And in my more thoughtful, maybe morbid moments, you might say, I think, what if that had been me? What if my life had tragically come to an end last week? What would people actually be saying about me? And it might be that you've come today and you might be going, and actually, what is the point of this whole thing? Why are we here in the first place? Is there any meaning to this? And as we talk about our series on discipleship, we're talking about following Jesus. And I want to encourage you that actually there is a meaning to this. That God invites all of us to be part of his big story. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. But it's God's plan from the beginning and from before creation to draw people to himself. You know, you might be really familiar with that, that verse. Lots of people know it from John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son Jesus so that everyone who believed in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And wherever you are today, whatever you're wondering, that truth is for you. That God loved each of us so much, he sent Jesus to die, to rise from the death, so that we could know him and know real life. And so if you're just here as a guest today, you're kind of stepping into this, this conversation we're having about discipleship. And in the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the big picture and the big story and last week, Nigel kind of encouraged us that discipleship is about, it, it's about being, having content, learning stuff, being part of a community, but it needs to happen in context. And if we're disciples, if we're followers of Jesus, that comes into play and that comes into practice where we are day to day. So if today you've come along and you're exploring faith, I really hope that this little talk will help you understand just a little bit about what it is that followers of Jesus do. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a number of days or weeks or months or years, I hope that this will just be a reminder and maybe a bit of an encouragement, a bit of a challenge to you. Because it has been to me as I've been preparing and thinking this week. 
So God has a big story, a story of an adventure that he invites us into. And as Nigel told us a couple of weeks ago and then again last week, we read that in Matthew chapter 28. Just before Jesus was about to go back to heaven, he said to his, his followers, his friends, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And one of our questions is, well, so what does it really mean to take this seriously? What difference does it make? You know, Johnny and Beth have just made promises on behalf of Hetty, saying they want to bring her up, and their hope and aspiration and prayer is that she will choose to follow Jesus. And what a wonderful day that will be. That's a decision we can all make, a choice we can all make. But that decision, if we choose to make it, of saying yes to Jesus, is just the start. It's the beginning of an adventure. And so the first thing to say is, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that is a wonderful thing. But don't let that be where things stop. Because the adventure we're invited into is a day after day, hour after hour, sometimes minute by minute decision to be saying, God, what is it that you want for me now? What is it for today? How can I keep on walking forward with you? And I don't know about you, but for me, it's very tempting sometimes to think, you know, Things, there's a quieter day coming. Things are going to get easier. You know, when my kids were very little, I remember thinking, oh, you know, life is so busy. I don't even get a minute so to the loo on my own. It's not too graphic, but some of you kind of resonate with that. You know, there's, there's no peace and quiet. Or it might be that you're in the middle of a really demanding job. You've got pressures from all sides about balancing the book and making um, ends meet. It might be that you're caring for elderly relatives, and you're just pressurized, you know, day after day, working out how to make things work. And it's easy to think sometimes, well, do you know, I'll think about following Jesus more closely when things get a bit easier. But something that Nigel used to say to me in our early married life was he used to say, a quieter day is coming. When I would say, oh, we're so busy, he'd say, a quieter day is coming. And actually, it's not quite true. I don't know about you, but I find that life just does get... He was saying it ironically. I didn't understand that at the time. But I don't know about you, but life feels like it gets busier and fuller and there are things to do and demands to be met and people who need responding to. And if we don't think about and concentrate on the important things now, we're never going to get the chance to do that. So in following Jesus, in trying to be disciples, whether you are a mum at home, whether you're at college or maybe on your long summer holidays already, not that I'm bitter, whether you are working or looking for work, whether you are putting together a home for the first time, whatever your situation, I just encourage you to think, what is it the disciples do? And what is God saying to me today? What is he challenging me with? And this talk, the framework from this talk is pulled from um, uh, the talk I heard by, from a guy by Alan Scott, who is, has really influenced our thinking about kind of discipleship and about following Jesus. And I wanted to say that to give credit to him. So the good parts are the points that he's put together and the illustrations and everything else is mine. But um, just to let you know where, where that's come from. So disciples or followers of Jesus actually do four things. We are people who speak his words. We're people who do his works. Jesus' disciples are people who follow his ways. And we're people who share his wounds. And so first of all, being people who speak his words. 
you know, we're all influenced by somebody. There are people around us who influence our thinking. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself kind of echoing what other people say. We used to tease Nigel quite a bit. He's a big fan of Bono. And Bono's a great musician. He has the ear of politicians and presidents. He's done some amazing work with compassion and helping the poor. And often Nigel would, would, um, in his talks, be saying, oh, Bono said this and Bono did this. And we used to tease him. And it just struck me. But what a great, you know, in lots of ways, a great role model to have. And then we were sitting at um, the table not that long ago, and my kids were chatting, and one of them said to me, please, can you pass a cereal carton? I said, pardon? I said, then they said, please, can you pass a cereal carton? I was like, when have we ever called it a cereal carton? In our house, it's a cereal box. You've been watching far too much American YouTube. Why are we, you know, we're influenced by the things we hear, by the people around us, aren't we? And we need to think about who is influencing us. And disciples or followers of Jesus are people who are influenced by what he says. And I think there are two parts of this. The first part is really simple and a real encouragement that we need to be reading his words. We need to know what his words say. And those are, I've left my Bible just down here. Those are, that's not my one. Available in an old-fashioned version on paper. But also you can get access to them on your phone. There are so many ways now that we can access his words. We can understand what God is saying to us. And yet it's very easy in the busiest of, busiest of life to have this available, maybe even next to your bed, maybe in your car or in your handbag, and yet not actually to choose to open it and read what's inside. And so the first reminder to us today is that we need to know what he's saying And it might be that you feel helped by um, a Bible in a year app. Some people find those really helpful. Some people have little devotional aids. You know, after, in the summer holidays, we're looking through the book of Ruth, which is a short book in the Bible. And it might be before you get there, you think, I need to read my Bible some more. Why don't you just have a look at the book of Ruth and just read through that and see if you can hear what God is saying through his word. Hearing God's voice is really crucial to us. Because the voices around us are very loud and insistent. With the whole thing about Europe, I don't know about you, but whichever side I've listened to, I've heard people saying, if we stay in Europe, we need to be really worried about the future. And yet others say, if we leave Europe, we need to be really worried about the future. Fear of the future is a really loud voice. If you have got children... um, there are many people saying, oh, we need to be really worried about our kids. If, you know, our kids are little, but when they get to teenagers, they're going to go off the rails and it's all just going to be terrible and pear-shaped and they're never going to talk to us again. There's a lot of anxiety about how we're raising our kids. Or what about issues about our health? Well, actually, I'm all right now, but oh, I just felt a twinge. Oh, my goodness, I might have cancer. There is fear and anxiety and lots of voices around us that would encourage us to think the wrong ways. And we need to go back to the Bible and remind us what God says. He doesn't promise that we're going to have lives without these things and without challenge, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he does speak truth to us and encouragement and hope and help in every situation that we're in. 
you know, I noticed something really interesting this week in a friend of mine. We were sitting and chatting and this guy said, um, I was in the playground this week and I was chatting to someone in the playground and they were telling me about a difficult situation in their family. And it just felt like, like the most natural thing in the world to say, can I pray for you? And the lady I was talking to is quite antagonistic about faith. She's not really into God at all. But I felt I should offer to pray for her. And she said, yes, please. And I did. I thought, what a great story. But the thing I found really interesting was I'd spoken to this same chap a couple of weeks ago. And a couple of weeks ago, he was saying, oh, do you know, I find it so hard to talk to anybody about faith and about God. And to think about doing that in public is just really awkward. And so I said to him, you know, it's a great story about praying for somebody in the playground. But what has happened in two weeks? There's been a big turnaround. Do you know what he said? I found it so interesting. He said, I've just started getting up in the morning a bit earlier to spend some time with God, praying and reading my Bible. I find it helps me remember who I am. And I thought, what an interesting thing to say. That as we get into the Bible, actually we see ourselves as we really are. It helps us remember who we are. And so if this book, if you have one of these and you haven't had a chance to read it recently, I just really encourage you this week, get your Bible out, open it up, and have a read and see what God is going to say to you. Because the thing is, not only do we need to know who God is, but so do the people around us. And once we're confident in who we are and remembering who we are, we can then really share that with those other people who need to hear that. I was at an event um, recently and there was a lady there with um, two, two boys and every interaction that she had with them was just really negative and dragging them down and, and she kept on saying, why are you doing that and don't do that? And this little boy came up and he didn't even open his mouth and she said, and don't tell me about that. And it was all so negative. And I just thought, wow, the words that we use have real power and we can use them to build people up. Or we can use them to drag them down. And whenever God speaks to us, he speaks words of life and hope, sometimes challenge and correction, but always to bring out the best in us. And that's what we need to do. We need to be people who speak his words. I felt quite challenged about this myself recently. There's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, which I haven't put up on the screen. And it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. And I find in conversation, it can just be really easy to say something that isn't quite straight. You know, I was, I was talking to my little boy today, JJ, and I, he heard me um, kind of preparing this morning. And I, I said, it can be easy to tell just a little white lie. And straight away he said, mummy, there's no such thing as a white lie. And I thought, you're absolutely right. He said, it's either a lie or it's the truth. And sometimes in conversation, it's really easy, I find, for edges to be blurred, for maybe a story to be told in a way that just makes me sound better or makes it just sound more fun. It can be easy to say and do the wrong things. But the Bible really encourages us that we can be an example. You know, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us that we can excel in our speech, that we can choose to be people who do and say the right thing. And so a prayer, there's a prayer in the Bible which says, God, would you set a guard over my mouth? And that's something that I find myself praying. God, you know, before we say a word, the Bible tells us, God knows it. He knows a word on our tongue before it even comes out of our mouths. And I've decided to say, 
God, sometimes, would you just let me know what it is before I open my mouth? That would really help me. This is what following Jesus is about. It's about speaking his words, knowing what he says, and speaking the truth about what he says to others. So the second thing that disciples do is we do his works. There we go. And this involves all kinds of different things. Um, I've brought... Where is it? I brought a lovely book along with me today. I don't know if anyone's got this one. This is Jamie Oliver. Jamie does Spain, Italy, Sweden, Morocco, Greece and France. And if you want to come and have a look afterwards, you're welcome to see it. It's got the most beautiful pictures in. It's, you know what Jamie's like? He's kind of quite chatty. He kind of says, I was just on a boat in the Aegean when I made this one. Or as a young boy, the idea of meat and fish felt like this. And I love the way he chats and just look at the colours on this. It's just incredible, isn't it? And can I have a look through paella? Oh, yeah, I'm not so keen on prawns. I don't think I fancy that one, but I might go for... Oh, the squid looks nice. And it's very easy for us to look at things and look through things and be kind of spectators, isn't it? And even as we read our Bibles, it can be easy for reading the Bible to be a bit of a spectator sport. But the point of this recipe book is that I'm supposed to cook a meal as a result of it. The point of reading our Bibles is that I'm supposed to live a life as a result of it. So knowing God's word and speaking it is really important, but so is doing the works of Jesus, doing what he does. And you'll know, you may well be familiar with Jesus' own job description, his mandate, which he said in Luke chapter 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release of captives and regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are in prison and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so God's works involve helping the poor, involve stepping out and speaking on behalf of those who need help. But also they involve stepping out in the supernatural. Part of our job as followers of Jesus is to do the crazy things that he did. And I find that a massive challenge. I know that I can't do any of it on my own, that it's about God who comes and acts, but I know too that I can choose to put myself in a place where these things are more likely to happen. You know, at um, the Tent on the Green, we had a, a, a worship kind of celebration in front of the cathedral during Pentecost weekend. And when we were there, there were some people who got together, our healing on the streets team. What we do is we go out every month, every week, we take it in turns once a month and pray for people on the streets. And we did it at the Tent on the Green. And over the weekend, we prayed for over 60 people. And I did some stats, and basically about a third of the people who came, and came with pain, so they had pain, were either the pain completely went when they'd been prayed for or it was significantly reduced. You know, we had somebody who had plantar fasciitis. I don't know if you've had that, but it's very painful. Pain in your kind of heel and the bottom of your foot. And this lady hobbled over to us and we prayed for her and she literally skipped away. We had another guy who was visiting Winchester. He had pain in his big toe. He had gout and it was quite severe and we prayed for him and that went. We had another chap who sent us an email afterwards and he said... Let me just read you what his email said. On Saturday, the healing on the streets outside the tent in Winchester Cathedral, a gentleman prayed for my daughter who suffered a bout of transverse myelitis, which I understand is an inflammation in the spine. Is that right, medics? Answers yes. And today, which was two days later, she's been discharged from having to see her consultant again. 
So she had prayer and then that, that, that changed. And so how wonderful that we get the opportunity and the privilege of being part of this incredible story, a part of the adventure of doing Jesus' works. And then the honest truth is, sometimes we don't have days like that. You know, our Healy on the Streets team will go out every Saturday. Some days we go and stand in Winchester under umbrellas in the pouring rain. Sometimes nobody stops. Sometimes, if I'm really honest, we feel like lemons because we're there smiling and people just walking past. But we're not asked to be successful. We're asked to be obedient and to step out and do what God has asked us to do. And so followers of Jesus are people who do his works. So we speak his words and we do his works. The third point is that disciples or followers of Jesus are people who follow his ways. We're to be people who are marked by God's presence. And I think there are two different aspects to this. I think the first is we need to be people who literally are following the footsteps, following where he leads. And sometimes this is just in the day-to-day responding to something that God asks you to do. It might be that he just brings somebody to mind and you think, I need to drop him a text or give him a call. It might be that you're out and about in the car park at the supermarket and he just highlights someone to you and he wants you to go and give them a hand or do something to help. That's following his ways. Sometimes it's quite big stuff, like Johnny and Beth going to Tajikistan or changing your job. There are, lot, there are different ways that we can choose to follow his ways. And a friend of mine said once, I decided a long time ago that whenever God asked me to do something, my answer was just going to be yes. I didn't want to wait in the moment and say, now, let's think about that. Do I want to do that or do I not? My answer, whenever I felt prompted by God to do something, was going to be yes. And I thought, what a wise thing to do. Because actually, in the cold light of day, sometimes the nudges that God gives us or the things he asks us to do are out of our comfort zone. And if we determine beforehand, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go there, I'm going to be there, then we're going to be more likely to be able to step into the things of doing his, his works that we've already spoken about. In Exodus 33, Moses had come down from Mount Sinai. He'd been up there in God's presence and he came downstairs. He came down with the Ten Commandments and the Israelites had forgotten who they were and forgotten who God was and they'd built this golden calf and it was all going quite pear-shaped, to be honest. And God actually said... I think the best thing is that I leave you guys. I'm going to leave you to it because if I stick with you, there's going to be trouble. And Moses said to the Lord, Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know who you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And as I read on, I thought, it's so interesting because Moses is saying, God, I I need your help. Show me, teach me your ways. It's kind of like, you know, you've given us Ten Commandments. Give us a list. Give us a way to go forward so we know we're doing the right thing. And this is God's response. He says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I thought, gosh, how interesting is that? Sometimes we can look for a list I don't know about you, but I like ticking things off. We can look for instructions. We can look for a way ahead. And yet God says, no, I want to be with you. My presence, my ways are not just about a list of what you need to do. My ways are me. It's my character. It's who I am. 
And how lovely that Jill brought to us that passage from 1 Corinthians 13 that I was going to read too. That when we follow his ways, we're following his character. We're to be people who are like him. The Israelites wanted to be a people who were marked by God's presence. And that's what we want to be too. But you know, sometimes his ways can be really annoying. It can be quite inconvenient responding to what God wants us to do. Sometimes it means making a change to your schedule, popping in to see someone you hadn't planned to see. And yet following his ways is the way that we get closer to who he is. We get closer to his heart and we find a way to become more like him. And as you know, I really love stories. And um, Nigel mentioned last week that Jenny has a story just about being a disciple, about how she's been following Jesus recently and what's happened as a result. And I've asked her if she'll come and share it with you now. So Jenny, do come and join us and let's have the mic. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Come on. So for those of you who don't know, this is Jenny. She oversees our compassion ministry here. And she just recently had a personal story um, about something that God asked her to do. Go for it, Johnson. Yes, so this um, comes from... Yes, I oversee the compassion ministries, but run a storehouse where we deal with um, agencies in the community and support families in need. Well, one day um, I had a text and I I just found it this morning. Um, It wasn't a text, it was an email, sorry. Um, And I've printed it off so that you can actually get the start of this story as it happened. Um, This was from one of the agencies. Um, It said, um, hello, Um, my couple in Kingsworthy, whom you uh, supplied an alarm mattress for their wee disabled baby... Um, is in big trouble. Mum Jolene is very ill indeed and in intensive care with an unknown condition. Meningitis was thought of, then a heart condition, then septicemia, and now a blood clot in her heart. Her partner, who has his own health issues, um, is beside himself with worry. I'm trying to find some practical support around the house for him, help to get him to his own and baby's appointments and maybe food shopping preparation. He's not eating as lost significant amount of weight. Do you have saintly volunteers who may be able to help? Well, um, <laughs> yes, but uh, right, it was Kingsworthy. So I thought, who do I know in Kingsworthy that might be able to just pop in and um, help them. And Roger and Judy Court came to my mind immediately. So I gave them a call and they responded very positively. And um, together with their family, they made cakes and meals and took things from the storehouse and went to visit um, over a couple of weeks. Um, and then on the... Um, Oh, and then I got notice, um, Roger said, they're getting married in hospital. She is so poorly, she's going to die. Um, And they're getting married. And this was on the Monday, the 18th of April. So um, I thought, oh, goodness, you know, this is bad. So, But in the evening, I was in the kitchen. um, It was nearly 10 o'clock at night, washing up and just tidying up in the kitchen. And I heard this, well, I felt this... 
um, quiet voice say, go and pray for her. Well, I'd never met her. I didn't know her or the family. And she was in Southampton, not Winchester. So that was a big obstacle. And um, all these thoughts of why it was going to be difficult kept flooding in. So um, I didn't know what to do. And, and actually, as Joe had said earlier about a friend, I also had promised God years ago that I would always say yes to him. And he's always faithful. But um, this was a bit of a challenge. So when I went, I went into the sitting room and spoke to Neil and he said, well, you're not going tonight. I mean, and so I thought, oh, that was a relief in one sense um, because I didn't even know her name. She just got married that day. I didn't know her previous surname. Um, so uh, anyway, I went to bed. I was awake on and off all night praying, Lord, please, I'm really sorry I haven't been. Please don't let it be too late. Um, you know, and then a little fear crept in. Oh, my word, if she dies tonight, um, then I'm going to go and have to pray for a dead person. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, so that was really scary. Um, but anyway, in the morning, I got up just saying, Lord, please don't let me have missed this opportunity because I knew it was him. And so I rang Roger. Roger wasn't able to come with me. And then I rang um, her partner, or her husband then, and um, I told him what had happened. I said, I really felt that God had spoken to me to pray for Jolene. How do you feel about that? He said, oh, well, that's fine. I said, do you mind if I go along to the hospital and see her? So he gave me the, the okay, which is great. God is so good. I was then fully at peace. And I said, will Jolene mind? He said, oh, I'm sure she won't. So anyway, he'd obviously got in contact because she was expecting me when I arrived and she was still breathing. Um, but I said to God, if I'm going, you need to give me your word um, so that I can go with confidence, knowing it's you and knowing that you've sent me for purpose. So he gave me Psalm 118. So when I went into the ward um, or her room, she was on her own, obviously, um, I said, I told her why I was there and told her that God loved her and said, um, before, would you like me to pray for you? She said, oh, yes, please. So I said, well, before I pray, I said, God has given me... Um, this from the Bible, a psalm for you, and I'm going to read it to you first. So I read Psalm 118 and said, was there anything in there that actually stood out to you? And um, of course she said, and she didn't say it was verse 17, but it is verse 17, um, that uh, you will live and not die and tell of what the Lord has done. And it says I in there, but um, I personalized it for her. And she, um, she said, oh, that really stood out to me. And I said, well, that is the truth. I said, that's what God, that's the message God has given me to give you. Uh, so can I pray for you? And I prayed for her. And um, I had a call later that night to say she started to respond to antibiotics. And then it's just been a gradual improvement. And uh, six weeks later, I came back from holiday last Sunday and Roger came straight up to me and said, Jolene's home from the hospital and um, she doesn't need, because she 
they were trying to get her to respond to antibiotics so they could operate. It was really important to replace her heart valve. But um, anyway, he said she doesn't need an operation. So I went to see her this week and um, she is, I'm a miracle child. And um, she said, I've been telling everyone. I said, wow, that's, <laughs> that's good. So yeah. Wow, amazing. Thank you, Jenny. Wonderful. Thank you. Amazing. And um, Jenny has had a from Jolene to share that story, but isn't that just amazing? Responding to that nudge whilst washing up and then going to pray for a lady who they thought was going to die. And Jenny has prayed and God is good and she lives. That's amazing, isn't it? So... Church, let's just respond to those nudges when we get them. I find that so encouraging, the kindness of God. And so disciples, followers of Jesus, are people who speak his words, who do his works, who follow his ways. And then the last slide is to show us that we're people who share his wounds. And the thing is, it's amazing and wonderful to have these glorious stories. We love them. But the truth is that Jesus hasn't promised us an easy ride. And you know that many of you experience difficult things day by day. It might be that you've got problems in your family or challenges with your health. There are different situations and sometimes God comes in and does them and brings change. And other times we don't see a change or improvement. And yet we serve somebody who knows what that's like. Jesus was crucified on a cross. His hands bear the scars of that. He knows what it is to suffer and he knows what it is to be in pain. And he promises to be with us throughout that. The Bible also tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And it might be that you're experiencing that in your journey of faith and your following Jesus that you're experiencing people misunderstanding you or mistreating you. You know, somebody spoke to me this week and they've been in a work situation um, where there is someone who has been constantly speaking against them. And this guy said to me, how many times do I have to forgive? And I was really flippant and I said, have you tried 70 times 7? Because that's what Jesus said in his, you know, in the, in the Bible, you know. And what Jesus means is repeated forgiveness. And this guy said to me, I have been working kind of alongside this colleague for 20 years. And I've been having to forgive for 20 years. And that is the truth sometimes. That as followers of Jesus, we do bear his wounds. And we, yeah, we do bear his wounds. But the encouragement that we have is that Jesus knows what it's like. And Jesus promises never to leave us in it. And so people who do these things, people who follow Jesus, like many of us are, are people who speak his words, we're people who do his works. We follow his ways, and in different ways we share his wounds. And the end result is amazingly that we're people who help to change his world. And that's not a job that any one of us can do, and that almost sounds flippant, doesn't it? We're going to be world changers. But actually as we live these things out step by step and day by day, we do change the world. Jolene and her, fam- and her family and her kids are living a very different life today as a result of encountering, encountering Jenny and Roger and Judy 
and the change that's happened in her life. Bit by bit, we can be part of changing the world. And I don't know about you, but it might be that one of these things is something that you lean towards. You love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love kind of discovering bits that make it come alive to me. Oh, I love being out there and praying for people and seeing the sick get healed. Or it might be that you just love responding to what God's talking to you about in the, you know, in the day and, and sensing his presence. Or it might be that justice and compassion is something on your heart and sharing his wounds and helping the poor is something that really resonates with you. And I wonder if those things are wonderful. But a good friend of ours, as they were raising their kids, they said, we want our kids to be able to do a number of things. We want them to be able to conduct a conversation with another grown-up. We want them to be able to have some knowledge of a foreign language. We want them to be quite good at a team sport. We'd love them to be able to play a musical instrument. As parents, we aspire to helping them be rounded in all these different ways. I thought, gosh, that sounds like quite a, quite a feat. But what a well-rounded person you'd be having had all those different experiences. And actually, our Father God, when he looks at us, he wants us to be well-rounded followers of Jesus. He doesn't want us to lean into one thing or not to another. But he expects the full package. He expects us to be reading our Bibles and doing the stuff. He expects us to be leaning into his presence and experiencing more of who he is and, and, and letting our lives be changed. And he expects us to be walking closely with him, even through the difficult times. And so today, I suppose my encouragement to you, my challenge to you, is to say, well, what is it that God's saying to you today? Is there one of these areas where he just wants to go, amazing, fantastic, I love the way you're doing this? Or is there just an area in life where he's going, come on, this is just a place to grow. If you're going to follow me, follow me down this path. Let's, let's push into this a bit more. So we've got a few minutes now just to think about that and to pause. So I encourage you, why don't you stand?